Jesus was known to be a great teacher. Right? We know that about Jesus. But, but one thing we, we don't consider about Jesus is that he was also an excellent communicator. An excellent one. I, I want you to imagine, because Jesus spoke, when Jesus was walking the earth, it was over 2,000 years ago. Okay, so think about that. I want you for a moment to just think of communicators that you know from 2,000 years ago. Okay, so if you, if you can think of some communicators from 2,000 years ago, that's great. You're already better than half of us right now. <laughs> and now I want you to um, be able to recite some of, those, some of their key phrases or their key concepts in the back of your mind. Just, just try to think of it. The likelihood is, is that you're struggling, right? Um, we don't often carry in our back pocket by memory the teachings of people from thousands of years ago. Yeah, we could probably name a couple. Maybe we could get some key ideas. But the majority of us, we struggle. But if you asked a Christian, in fact, if you asked a non-Christian to just say a couple of phrases from Jesus, the majority of people would get it. They'd get one, two, three, five, ten. They'd get the idea of what Jesus stood for. And I believe that's due in part because Jesus was an excellent communicator. He was also an extremely memorable teacher. And one of the, the key ways, the top teaching styles of Jesus, were these miniature fictional stories that, that had a way of sticking in your mind even days after you to he told them. Uh, imagine like uh, when you're sit driving in your car and a new song comes on the radio and you don't know the words to it. You, you can't necessarily sing it if you were to go to karaoke without the words, right? You wouldn't be able to recite it from memory, but over the next couple of days, that tune just sticks in your mind. You're humming it to yourself. You're saying the words, the chorus, whatever the words you do know, you're singing those, right? It's the same with parables, right? Jesus, he gives these little stories, right? And, it, and they're puzzling and they're mysterious, but they stuck in people's minds. And one of the primary ways for us to embrace being a follower of Jesus is by cultivating a lifestyle of learning after our teacher. Is to learn to not only understand these sometimes puzzling stories, but also learning how we can step inside of them and we can apply them and direct them to our walks and our faith. You see, a big part of our culture uh, a big part of our culture values being clear and concise and to the point, right? We like that. We like speakers who are clear and concise to the point, that don't stumble over their words, that can get their message out clearly so that you can walk away from here knowing what you heard. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he was almost never any of those things, <laughs> right? Often, these short stories that he gave, they, they felt like riddles, where you had to become a detective, trying to decipher the meanings of them, to pull out clues, to understand their meaning and how they applied to your life. And so, over the next two weeks, that's exactly what we're going to become. We're going to be little detectives. We're going to dive into the section in Mark chapter 4, which is an extremely unique section. We talked about in Bible class that we come to Mark chapter 4, and Mark has kind of stopped the story and he said, okay, we're going to spend the next chapter talking about parables. So that if you were to um, sit at the feet of Jesus, or if you were like Mary, or if you were to sit on the mountainside like these crowds were about to read about, 
and Jesus was going to teach you, here are some of the things that he would say. And so Mark spends an entire section just collecting these parables and putting them in one spot. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to be in chapter 4 of Mark. We're going to be there in its entirety, and we're going to walk through these puzzling little stories called parables. So let's go ahead. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. Let's settle ourselves into the story. Let's, let's, let's just dive into the story and see where Jesus is going to take us and where Mark wants to lead us. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the lake. And while the people were along the shores at the water's edge, he taught them many things in parables. We're going to go ahead and stop there because this is a fascinating little section of what what Jesus is going to do before he actually gets into the, the teachings. So if you notice, Jesus gets into a boat and he sits in the boat on the water. And what Jesus has just done, and if you were in Bible class, we talked a little bit about this, but he's done something brilliant here, is that he has established a natural amphitheater for himself. See, the Sea of Galilee, it has right along parts of its edges, it has these mountainsides or hillsides that go straight into the water. And Israeli scientists believe that one of the places that Jesus was probably teaching this parable was called the Bay of Parables, and they've actually tested it. They have, they have gone out into the water, and they have tested how, how sound carried across the water into the mountainside, and they said easily somebody could have barely projected their voice and reached thousands of years if they wanted to. And they call it the Bay of Parables. And so Jesus, along this mountainside, so not stacked back to back like you are, like a stadium seating, people are along this mountainside, and Jesus moves himself into a boat so that his voice carries across the water easily. It travels clearly across the water, and he speaks to a large crowd of people. And he gets into the boat, and he begins teaching. Now, he begins teaching, and if we're going to talk about parables, we have to talk about, well, 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 my thing's going crazy. There. We have to talk about that word, right? Parables. About what is a parable. If Jesus is going to teach in parables, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about parables, it would be a good thing to define what a parable is. And in class, we, we talked a little bit about this, and one of the definitions somebody gave was a parable is a, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning which is an okay definition. There's nothing wrong with that definition. Um, parables were often used outside of your Bible, so they don't, always have, um, they don't always have a heavenly meaning. They're just an aid. So uh, an easy definition and a good simple definition for you, if you want to write it down, a parable is something that is placed alongside something else for the purpose of clarification. It is an aid. It is a tool, and it's put next to some kind of application, some kind of message And its purpose is to make that message clear to you. Uh, Unfortunately, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't make it clear. He puzzles it, but he uses parables to do it. Now, parables are different than allegories. Because while allegories can be understood from the outside, right? Think of uh, 
Animal, uh, Animal Farm and Lord of the Flies and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to be on a raft with a tiger and a hyena. You don't have to be in a mystical wardrobe with lions, witches, and wardrobes to, to understand that story. You can stem from the back and you can understand it. Par allegories work that way. They can be understood from outsiders and they allow you to step inside of it. Parables are completely different. Parables cannot be understood from the outside. In fact, they, they're completely misunderstood from the outside. It was once explained to me this way, and I love this, and this is why I pick the background um, that you see behind the, the imagery. Um, in many ways, parables are like stained glass windows. Think of the, a cathedral. Think of I mean, right here, this stained glass window. If you were to step outside of this building and walk beside it, what would that window look like? It would be dull. It'd be lifeless. It, it's almost grayscale. You can see the brilliance, but you don't get the full impact of it. It's not until you step inside that it becomes brilliant and radiant and full of color. You see, parables cannot be understood in their entirety separated from the one delivering the parable. That's the uniqueness of them. And Jesus' parables, Jesus' parables are not simply good advice. They're not merely tools to help you understand something better. Jesus' parables are in themselves good news. And in fact, and the brilliance of, of the gospel stories and what Mark does is that the life of Jesus itself is a parable. Mark, the writing of Mark, is a parable. Indeed, it's the greatest of them all. And, it is, and, and Mark is challenging his readers to step inside of the story, to actually listen to the one delivering this parable so that you can actually see the brilliance and the radiance of it. In all of Jesus' parables, they have a common theme. Can anybody guess, right? And, and let me give you a hint. Uh, Bible class folks, you should know this by now. Um, if, if Jesus was going to drill down on any topic, it would be this one. In fact, if you were here for my sermon a couple, about a month or so ago, uh, we talked about this, about the most important passage, the synopsis of the entire book of Mark in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Um, you can already begin flipping your Bibles there. Um, but if you want to know, does anybody, anybody have a guess of what the parables, what the main theme of the parables of Jesus are about? Anybody? The kingdom of God. That's right. Bill, you weren't even in Bible class. You got that. Thank you for getting that. Not to call you out or anything. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Go on back to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the second part of verse 14. It says, Jesus came into Galilee, and he became proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. Okay, this is a good candidate. If I ever wanted to know what the good news is, if I ever wanted to hear what the gospel was from the mouth of Jesus himself, this would be a good place to go, yes? In fact, and this is what I argued whenever I preached on this a couple months ago, that verse 14 and verse 15 of Mark chapter 1 are a synopsis or a summary of the entirety of the book of Mark. And they are a synopsis and a summary of the entirety of Jesus' message, and at the core of who Jesus was and his teachings. So what is it? Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What did he proclaim? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is the good news? What is the gospel of God? What's something that was just said? What was just said is something that is near. What is near? The kingdom 
of God. And for a lot of you, you're staring at me with blank eyes thinking, well, what does that mean? <laughs> what is the kingdom of God? And, and my time this morning, you have to go back and listen to the sermon that I taught on that, the Bible class I taught on that, what the kingdom is. Um, a, good, a good synopsis, a good summary of what the kingdom is. Uh, I just read a book by Scott McKnight. Maybe you've read the book, maybe you recognize that name. Uh, the book's called The Jesus Creed. Highly recommended. It's a short book on spiritual formation. And what Scott McKnight, Scott McKnight argues in that book, what he tries to establish in that book, is that if Jesus was a good, devout Jew, which he was, the core of his messaging would be to love God with everything that you have and to love others as yourself. He claims that is the Jesus Creed. And that everything that Jesus taught and everything that Jesus did, it was all focused on loving God with everything that you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he, throughout the book, he weaves on how Jesus shows this and how he teaches it and how we are to live into that. It's a beautiful book, but he says this about the kingdom. It's a short phrase. He summarizes it and he says, the kingdom is the society in which loving God and loving other people transforms life. Jesus, through the kingdom, through establishing the kingdom and through these parables, Jesus is establishing a community of followers who are laser-focused on loving God and loving others, and loving God and loving others for the purpose of sharing and transforming that message and transforming the lives of all, of all things, of all people. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is about. Transforming people's lives, transforming all life through this community of Jesus' followers. Okay, so let's paint the scene a little bit more. Go back to Mark chapter 4. Let's paint the scene of what's happening here because it's going to completely blow out of the water any way that you think this should go. <laughs> and Jesus does that, right? He'll, he'll do something, and, and as readers, you should be offended. You should be scratching your head. You should be wondering, Jesus, there was a much better way, I'm sure, you could have done that. Why did you choose this way? So Jesus has this large gathering of people, right, that, Mark tells us there's a great crowd. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has run into a great crowd. So who do you think this crowd consists of? All kinds of people. Just like this room consists of all different kinds of people from all different walks of faith who have all different understandings. Though you might think you believe and understand the same thing, I guarantee you don't. And in this crowd that Jesus is teaching, he has his followers people who love him, people who have bought in, people who have left everything they know because they have bought into this, they are here to follow Jesus, and though it might be a mystery of what they're doing, they're in it. You have a whole another group of people that are intrigued by Jesus. He, he does these things, and he says these things in ways that just, it perks their interest. What is he about? What is he going to do next? Could he do something for me? They're intrigued. Also in this crowd are people who are very skeptical of Jesus. Because he's not doing things and he's not saying things the way that they think he should say it. The way they have been raised, the way they have heard it. The way their tradition has always taught them. They're, he's saying things that are very countercultural, that are scandalous. Is he a troublemaker or not? And then you have another subsect or group of people who just hate Jesus. 
And we talked about in Bible class that hate might seem like a strong word, but what would it have to take for you to want to kill somebody simply because of what they are saying? That's where these people are. They hate Jesus. And so this is the crowd. <laughs> this is Jesus' audience. And this is the, the, these are the words, and I want, we're going we're gonna to focus in on how does Jesus decide to approach and to address that audience. And he says it, verse 3. Go to verse 3. Look what he says. He says, listen, behold, a farmer went out to farm. <laughs> That's how he starts this, right? That's how Jesus decides to start this moment. Now, I want you to imagine, to try to capture it, of what's happening here, and, and I can't build a good enough situ- a scenario, but I'm going to try. Imagine that we live in a war-torn country, that our nation is at war, that, that ideas and opinions are, are splitting us apart, that we're trying to find unity, we're trying to find focus, and you're looking for answers, you're waiting for that deliverer, who's going to save us, and the president or some kind of leader, he comes up behind the pulpit, you're ready, all ears are listening, people who are with him and people who are against him, and he starts off saying, a businessman went into the office. And that's how he starts. And maybe he's going somewhere, but that's how you start this moment, Jesus. You're talking about a farmer who's just doing his job. What are you saying? What are you pulling us into? And to explain what's happening here, I'm going to use the words of somebody else who's far smarter than I am, far more brilliant, and who's studied this far longer than I have. It's from a man named Robert Ferrer Capone, and he wrote a book called Kingdom, Grace, Judgment, and the Parables of Jesus. And he says this about the parables. He says, for Jesus, the meaning of God's kingdom is a radical mystery. Right? Even as he tells people about it, it remains permanently intractable to all attempts to fully grasp it. Jesus did not use the parables to explain everything to people's satisfaction, but rather to call into question people's previous understandings. In other words, the parables are trying to upset people's minds. You see, after all of our yammer and our opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world, Getting people to just stand with their eyes wide open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. And this is what Jesus' parables were designed to do. You see, it's precisely that Jesus says what you didn't think that he was going to say or what he shouldn't have said is what makes this moment so fascinating is that the parables are Jesus inviting us into the story by putting the ball in our court. And he is saying, your response, your response to these stories, how puzzling they might be, your response to these stories is what you're going to get out of them. And there's so many ways to respond. In fact, that's what the parable of the sower, and we're going to actually read it and dive into it in here in a moment. That's what this parable of the sower is all about. It's about how are we going to respond to the kingdom and the message that Jesus is sharing. The problem is that we're just really bad listeners, aren't we? We're just really bad listeners. We, I love my wife. I love her dearly. Darian sitting right here. She is amazing in so many ways. Darian, she gives her time in places she doesn't have to. She helps me in my ministry. She pours into our students and our young adults. 
And she doesn't get paid for it. She doesn't, she doesn't do it for recognition. She does it because she loves this church. She loves you. She loves our kids. So she pours her time and her energy. And so this week, she went with me to camp. <laughs> she slept on a mattress the size of my Bible. She, she, and, and during this week, we poured all of our energy into these kids. And so yesterday, we got home. We got home about lunchtime, a little after lunch. We unload our van. We just, it's just piled out the front door. Um, she's working on stuff. I'm trying to prepare for this lesson. I'm typing. I'm reading. I'm doing some things. And she's asking me a question. A, a student had left their medicine with us. And so she asked me, can you, can you message the mother to, to make sure that they don't need it tonight, that we can give it to them tomorrow, so on and so forth. And I kid you not, I respond fully. I say, yes, absolutely, I will do that, no problem. But I didn't hear a word that she said. I didn't hear a word. It never, it never clicked. I had to ask her again, and she said it, and I was like, I do not remember you saying that to me at all. Does this ever happen to you? Do you ever find yourself trying to talk to somebody, and you know they're not listening, be it a spouse, be it, a, be it one of your students or a child, be it your boss, right? They are listening, but they're not, or maybe you have done it. We're really bad listeners, aren't we? It's at our core. It, we become multitaskers, and we, we fail at it. Okay, are you with me still? Are you with me? This is a lot. This is dense. I know. I get it but we got to go through this stuff, and I know y'all can take it. Let's, just, let's do a summary of where we have been, and then we're going to jump into this parable head first. Sound good? So we've established the scene, right? Jesus has established this amphitheater. He's floated out onto this boat. He's on this, there's this group of people on this mountainside, and it's filled with people of all different kinds. People who are intrigued and love Jesus, people who are skeptical and hate Jesus are all listening to what Jesus has to say. And Jesus' method to addressing these people are, is this puzzling little story. And we're going to dive into what that story looks like, but it's called parables. And, and through this story, he's trying to reveal to people what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's his method. That's what he decides to address them with. And the problem that Jesus wants to address is our ability of being really bad listeners. That's what Jesus is going to address in this parable. He's going to ask the question, are you listening? Do you hear this story? Do you hear the message? Because as you listen, the secret of the kingdom of God is going to be revealed to you. But you have to listen. So the scene, the method, and the problem. Let's go to Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Listen. That's how he starts. A farmer went out to sow his seeds. And as he was scattering the seed, some of them fell along the path. And the birds, they came and they ate it up. And then some of the seed, it fell into some rocky places where it didn't have much soil. Now it sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came out, the plants, they were scorched and they withered away because they had no roots. And then there were some other seed, it rolled along and it fell into some thorns which grew up, and it choked out the plants so that it didn't bear any grain. And still, some other seed fell onto some good soil. And it came up, it grew, it produced a crop, some multiplying by 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And he said to them, do you have ears? 
let them hear. Strange story. <laughs> it's strange. This is a story. This is a story that Jesus uses to address this crowd of all different kinds of people who are there for all different kinds of reason. And Jesus jumps into this parable, and Mark decides to put this as the very first parable of Jesus in his gospel account. It's strange. So what I want to do is I want to establish first what this story, what this parable is not about, okay? And once I establish what it's not about, we'll jump into what it actually is about. This parable is not about, is not giving us an example of wrong or right discipleship. It's not what it's doing. Rather, this parable represents the historical inbreaking of the kingdom of God that's found in Jesus. We have our world today. We have the world as we know it. We have this world that's full of evil and darkness, this evil and darkness that we are producing through our, our separation from God that we have created. And these parables, and what Jesus is addressing in this, in this parable is how the kingdom of God is going to break into that world, the world as we know it, the world that we have created. Imagine that. Imagine a parable. Imagine this parable as the kingdom of God breaking into the world. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 8 again. Right? Because these seeds, the seed has been scattered where? It's been scattered amongst the rocks, it's been scattered amongst the thorns. It's been scattered on the roadside. And these places should produce nothing. And yet what happens? The seed that's in the good soil, despite the odds against this farmer who spread the seeds all different kinds of places, what does his crop look like? His crop produces, and it doesn't just produce a harvest that we would expect it pr to produce. It produces a harvest that completely uh, exceeds any standard by which we have set it. It, it, produce, it produces a harvest, an increasing yielding that's 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And this astounding harvest, it should clue us into a very important fact about this parable. And what Jesus wants you to hear in this parable is that growth, the growth of the kingdom, is not owing to human activity, but it's owing to God's providential power. I mean, hear that one more time. I want you to hear, I want these words to sink into your heart, into your mind. The growth of the kingdom of God is not due in part to human activity, but solely finds its nourishment and finds its growth from God. God is at work. He is at work in this story, and he's at work in the world today. And though he might be hidden and he might be unobserved, God is at work in Jesus and the gospel, the good news is going to produce a field, is going to produce a harvest that is wholly disproportionate to human prospect and human merit. Amen? It's not what we do and how people respond to us. That's not what this parable is about. It's not about what we do and how people respond to us, but rather it's about what God is already doing and how people are going to respond to the kingdom. God is the activator here. He is the main character of the story. And so far throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been teaching and preaching and proclaiming as tirelessly as this sower is sowing. And although speaking to some might be like trying to grow wheat 
in the, in the passing lane of an expressway. And other times it's like trying to grow wheat in a, in a two-inch flower pot. And other times like trying to grow wheat in briar rabbit's briar patch, right? The seed is still being sown and it's being sown generously. Think about that. Consider that for just a moment. Why is the seed being sown in places where we know a harvest should not grow? Because only sowing leads to harvest. You can't have a harvest, you can't have growth, unless a seed is first planted there. And just as God sends rain on the just and the unjust, in Matthew chapter 6, so the good news is shared. The seed is spread to good soil and and bad soil. And this parable, folks, this parable is absolutely remarkable because it depicts a prodigal sower who excludes nobody on principle alone. Right now, I want you to consider, if the Pharisees were in charge, we talked about this in Bible class, if the Pharisees were in charge of the sowing process, you better believe that they would limit the seed to be sown in places where they know without a doubt that a, a crop is going to be grown where there is good soil and the roots can take hold, that there can be depth and growth can occur. And so who's going to be left out of that equation? The bad soil, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all of you, because you're Gentiles, you're left out. Do you see this? In fact, if we were in charge of the sowing process, where would we limit it? Who Who do you consider the bad soil? Where it doesn't matter what you do, no good root is going to grasp. It's not going to take root. There's going to be no depth. And so you just save your soil to where you know without a doubt the seed can have growth. Where do we limit? But our Jesus doesn't do that. Do you see this? Jesus, he sows the seed, and he does it lavishly. He does it generously. It doesn't matter what the soil looks like. He shares and spreads the seed. And notice what this parable reveals about the kingdom of God. As you read it, read it again, read it over. That the kingdom of God, the appearance of the kingdom, that Jesus, he doesn't just come in one dramatic swoop. That he doesn't just up in the old age. Right? Evil does not vanish straight away with the coming of Christ. People do not universally respond to Jesus. What happens? Failure is not unexpected, right? Some seeds are going to be devoured. Some seeds are going to be scorched. Some seeds are going to be withered. Some are going to be choked out. Some will reject the truth no matter how it comes to them. They will see, but they'll see nothing. They're going to hear, but they're not going to hear anything. Discipleship is not what we can make of ourselves. But it's allowing both the sower and allowing the seed to produce a harvest that we alone are incapable. That's what discipleship looks like. But first, we must listen. To those who hear, and to those who hear and who listen, they'll come to an understanding of the mystery of the kingdom of God, and they will come to produce a harvest that is beyond belief. But first, they must listen. They must hear, and they must listen. Okay, so Jesus has been with this group of disciples all along. He's been unlocking to them what the kingdom of God looks like. 
And he says, those who are closest, those who actually step inside of the kingdom, who step closer to me, things are going to be revealed to them about the kingdom of God. But there's a whole other group of people who are in this crowd, yes? And those people, and the, and the crazy thing about this teaching style, about parables, is that parables, these parables that Jesus is saying, they're only conf- confirming the preconceived notions that the opposition of Jesus already had. People came to Jesus, and they thought, this guy's crazy, this guy's trouble, this guy is not preaching what's true, and they probably listened to this parable of the sower, and they walked away saying, I was right. I was right. This guy doesn't even know how to farm. <laughs> he, doesn't even, he can't even do that right. I was right. And they walk away. And Jesus is not concerned about that. Apparently, Jesus knows the human heart, and he knows the human mind. He knows how difficult, difficult it is for us to listen. And even while we are listening to somebody, and we talked about this in Bible class, even when we are listening, quote-unquote listening to somebody that we don't agree with, we're not actually listening to them, are we? What are we doing? We're, we're not only, we're, we're commentating their, their, their words in our head, right? We're saying things like, oh, they said that because of this reason. Oh, oh, and they fall under that principle and that idea, so that's why they said that. And I know that they're doing this on the side, so that's playing a part into what they're saying, right? We're commentating, but then what else are we doing? We're developing what? A response. (laughs) We're developing a response to them, and we're doing those things simultaneously while we're supposed to be listening to them. You see, true listening is one of the most difficult things that we can do. And so one of the things that Jesus' parables do is it cultivates a habit within us of open-mindedness and of good listening. It cultivates a stance of never thinking that I fully know what's happening in any given scenario, of never feeling like I have a full grasp on Jesus and the mystery of his kingdom, but rather that I'm on the mountainside just like everybody else that I'm on the mountainside with everybody else and I'm listening and I'm wrestling with God's words and with Jesus' words and with Jesus' stories, that I'm in the thick of it. And the moment that I am comfortable with following Jesus is the moment that I am no longer listening to him. The moment that I am comfortable with following Jesus is the moment that I'm no longer listening See, the parable of the sower, the first parable of Jesus in the book of Mark, it's about the various different ways one can respond to Jesus, not us, about the different ways people can respond to Jesus. And while Jesus will lavishly spread out the seed on all different kinds of soil, he doesn't hold back. (laughs) Regardless of how they might fall, he spreads that seed. And what Jesus is doing is he is challenging the crowd and he's challenging us as readers of this gospel. He is challenging us to find ourselves in one of the categories of of soil that was established in this parable. Which soil are you? Which soil are you? Because maybe, maybe you, you, you listen to this parable, you hear the message, but your seed has rolled and it's fallen onto the path. And it's been trampled or it's been carried away by birds. That, that you hear the message, but you simply just don't care. Maybe you've been abused or burnt or rejected. 
Maybe your heart has been hardened in some way to the truth of Jesus, that you don't fully believe that he could love you despite what you have done, that you have rejected the truth. Maybe you find yourself there, and if you do, I'm deeply sorry. I really am. But I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this, that despite how hard your heart might be, despite how much uh, of hate you might have or hurt you might have, Jesus is, is still going to sow the seed to you. That we have a God of love and we have a God of grace and he's going to extend that to you regardless of how you feel about him. That we have a Lord that while he was dying on the cross, he was forgiving those who were killing him. And if Jesus can forgive the people who are standing in front of him killing him, he can forgive you no matter where you might stand with him. And he's going to share that seed with you. Or maybe there's some among you where the seed is sown and it's rolled past the path and it's falling amongst rocks. And, and it has little soil, there's a little bit there, and you spring up. I like to call these people Facebook friends with Jesus. <laughs> right? These are the people who publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus, but then if you dig a little bit into their profile, you look through their pictures, you notice they're not actually living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That they think they're a follower of Jesus, but there's no depth, there's no root to it, there's no commitment. We talked about in Bible class about the three different types of belief. This isn't from me. This is from somebody much smarter than me. But that there's three, you have three different levels of belief. And a lot of times those beliefs don't line up with each other, unfortunately. Right? First, you have your public belief. This is what people think you believe. Maybe this is what you say on Facebook or when, when, when your name comes to people's mind, this is what pops up with it. When people think of you, this is what they think of. This is your public belief. And then one layer down, you have your private belief. This is what you think you believe, right? And unfortunately, this is where we get in trouble because a lot of us think we know Jesus. A lot of us think that we are a devout Christian, a devout follower of him. A lot of us think that we are in the right that we know how to interpret the Bible, we know how to interpret Jesus, we think we believe. That's our private belief. But then you get to the third, the core. And this is your core belief. This is what you actually believe. And you can't know the core of your belief by what other people think you believe, by what you show. You don't know your core belief by what you think you believe. But your core belief is only revealed by what you do, by how you live, by how you interact, by how you respond to the world. That is when your core belief is revealed. And so maybe there's some of you who have fallen amongst the rocks, you hear the message, you find no depth, and Jesus is calling you, do you have ears? Won't you listen? Okay, and then there's this whole other group of people that maybe your seed, it's been thrown out and it's gone past the path and it's gone past the rocks and now it's falling amongst some of the thorns. And you hear the message, but the worries of life seem to choke it out. That there's something else growing inside of your garden. That may it be anxiety or worry or some other devastating sin that is, that is keeping you, that is choking out the life and the truth of God's word that's trying to grow in there, and you need to address it. You need to find a way to pull the darkness out so that Jesus can come in. You need to be transformed, and Jesus is calling you, do you have ears, won't you listen? And then finally, 
maybe your seed is falling amongst good soil. And you hear the message of Jesus in your life is producing life. That you are being transformed and you are sharing that transformation with others as they are transformed. See, Jesus, the Jesus that speaks to us here in this parable, he knows that we're terrible listeners. He knows it. And yet, he became like one of us for the purpose of leading us and transforming us into the humans that we were made to be, but every day failed to be. And by his grace and by his spirit, you and I were invited, every day we are invited to listen to the life and the calling of the Savior who died for us and who was resurrected for us. And Jesus He is inviting us into this mysterious and powerful kingdom. It's the new creation that Jesus wants to birth inside of us. And he tells you this parable, and he puts the ball in your court, and he says, how are you going to respond? And I don't know how you need to respond this morning. Because there's a lot of different ways you can respond. I mean, that's the whole point of this parable. And Jesus is challenging us to be honest with ourselves in this moment, right here, to be honest with yourself. Examine your heart and and decide in this moment how you need to respond. Maybe for some of you, you need to respond with repentance. You know that there is something else growing inside of you that is choking out all life of the world. Or you, you recognize that you have been burnt and hurt and rejected in some way, that you have pushed the truth away, or that you have falsely shared the truth with somebody else, something that's not true about God. You need to repent. You need to remove something from your life that's keeping you from hearing the kingdom. Maybe there's some of you that need to respond with celebration. You are in a good place. You hear these words and and you have fallen in love, a new life and love for Jesus and his ministry, that you are sharing that life with others and you need to celebrate, you need to raise your hands, you need to to clap in the song, you need to sing out, you need to find joy in your heart. If you need to respond that way, respond. Do it. Or maybe there's other people that have a deep sorrow, that you've been hurt, that life's circumstances have surrounded you, you don't know where your seed falls, but you know it's not producing a harvest. And you know you, needed, you need to be surrounded by your community, by Jesus' followers, by God's church. You need to be surrounded with love and prayer. Jesus is calling, listen. You have ears, listen. How do you respond to the kingdom? And make that response known as we stand and we sing this song.